Well, friends, we have entered this week into the season of Lent, a season of 40 days of spiritual preparation as we wait together for the celebration of Easter. Customarily, Lent is about simplifying our lives. For focusing in on spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines that are supposed to help us grow and help us to focus on where we are with God and on how God in us is setting us all into right relationship with one another. Usually it's a season in which we are called to focus in on three spiritual disciplines especially. Prayer, fasting, and the giving of alms. And that, in fact, is exactly what the the Gospel reading on Ash Wednesday tells us to do. To go into your closet and to pray in secret, to fast, but without making a public performance of it, and without looking overly morose about it, to give alms to the poor, but without sounding the trumpet before you to let everybody know just how generous you are. That comes from Jesus' own words to His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter 6. But this year for Lent, I want to have us do something a little bit different. Since Lent technically only involves fasting on the days of the week except for Sundays, and the Sundays are supposed to be for celebration and for, for feasting, I thought that I would have us lean into that contrast a little bit. That back and forth between the fasting as well as the feasting. To explore what might be tucked away in there that might stand to open up for us a little bit more what this season is supposed to be all about. Now I brought with me today, if I can find it down here, I brought with me my little dove chocolate that I've been telling you about for weeks now. This is what I'm fasting for Lent, among other things. Because today, I brought it with me because today I get to feast on it. Today I get to have as many of these little things as I want, and I'm going <laughs> to relish all these encouraging little remarks that are on the, on the inside, and hopefully I won't be too encouraged by the time the day is over. But I have to confess to you, friends, that for most of my life, I could never really find my way into fasting. The feasting part, I have no problem with at all. But I've always found fasting very, very difficult. Sometimes I've just tried to do way too much. Some years I got a little way down into Lent and just gave up. Either because I cheated and figured, what's the point? Or or because it started to become more like a diet to me, and I couldn't hack it. So this year I've chosen to do something very simple and very specific because I want to make this work. And I want to encourage us all to explore this and to try this together. Because truly, friends, and I want you to hear me on this, truly, fasting is not about dieting. It's about praying in a certain kind of way. But alongside of the fasting, as I mentioned earlier this morning, we're also going to be feasting and doing that as well in a prayerful sort of way. The main feast that I'm talking about, of course, this morning is communion. This sacramental 
meal that we usually take just once a month on the first Sunday of every month. Throughout Lent this year, we're going to take communion every week because I want us to try and find together a new sort of prayerful rhythm. One that has us exploring our prayer life both while we're abstaining as well as while we're gathering to celebrate the Lord's Feast. And so today being Sunday, we feast. We feast. You may have noticed a few moments ago already this morning that our scripture readings for today are both about feasts. In the gospel passage, there's a feast of sorts with Jesus and some Pharisees where the main subject that comes up is whether it's more important to wash the outside or the inside before taking part in the meal. In the New Testament, gathering for a meal always seems to raise these sorts of piercing questions. The longer passage that we read from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, though, talks about a larger feast, a church feast, and whether or not that church feast is an authentic celebration of communion seems to be the question. We're going to be coming back to this passage, as I mentioned, every week and pick up different threads of it throughout this series, but today I want to have us start right here with the whole of it. Whose supper is this? Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And what is the Lord's Supper supposed to be? Paul is not very happy at all with this church here in this passage today. And in fact, he says towards the beginning that they would have been better off had they not celebrated communion at all than to have done it this way. To lay out the situation that he's describing here, when this church would gather together to, to take communion together, and you have to, you have to be mindful of the fact that in the first century church, when they would gather for communion, they would gather for an entire meal and it would take hours and hours together. It wasn't just a little piece of bread and a little cup like we do today. When they would gather for the sacrament, apparently, the more wealthy folks of this church, probably the folks that actually supplied the bread and the wine, they would get in line for communion first and eat all of the bread and drink all of the wine and leave none for the poorer folks somewhere back there at the end of the line. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about what that would feel like. Think about what that must have looked like in real time to have witnessed that going down. What would that sort of scene say about the supper and about the church? Would it have resembled at all this picture of the Last Supper up here on the screens? If you've ever read 1 Corinthians before or read it recently, you may remember that this was already a church that was struggling within itself in all sorts of ways with divisions. And what Paul observes here in this passage today about the way that they take communion is that their way of doing things actually does more to highlight what divides them than it does to unite them as a body. It did more 
to stoke divisions and resentments and to fan the flames of tension and strife than it did to put on display the way of Christ embodied in community. And so the Apostle Paul makes a fair observation, I think. Whose supper is this? Because it doesn't look like the Lord's Supper. Isn't it interesting that that in this longest and most detailed of passages in all of the New Testament about what this sacrament means, that we would begin with this one most basic of points. That the sacrament isn't the sacrament unless we're sharing it well. That the Lord's Supper isn't really the Lord's Supper at all unless it reflects the life and the values and the calling of the One who first instituted it. That's a big part of why Paul recounts the story of that Last Supper here to remind this church that on that night, on that night, Christ our Lord took one loaf and one cup and blessed them and shared them among all who were gathered there together. That's why Paul here calls this church to examine itself before coming to the table and to wait until all have been served. It's not the Lord's Supper unless we're sharing it. It's not the Lord's Supper unless it teaches us as the body of Christ to share. And Paul says more than once in this passage today that if the church isn't ready to come together and to share the meal, then it would be better off if they all just ate at home. Whose supper is this anyway? Food is seldom just food, you know. I told you all just this past summer, if you remember, I think, the story involving a a big family reunion in my family that used to happen, used to happen, in my family every single year and still does on a much smaller scale. And that debacle involving the peach cobbler, does anyone remember the peach cobbler? that devolved into folks never speaking to one another ever again. Meals are symbols of belonging. And who's allowed to come to the table and who's allowed to bring peach cobbler to the table so often speaks about the depth and the quality of our relationships well beyond the table. When I was a teenager, my church youth group used to go to make a trip downtown every month to one of the United Methodist churches down downtown Jacksonville where there was a soup kitchen that served breakfast to the homeless several mornings a week, if not every morning a week. And we would go on a Saturday morning when, when we were all off of school and and we'd get there early to start helping and making preparations as you do when you're serving at a soup kitchen. And this was one of those classic downtown churches, old, probably built sometime in the early to mid-1800s. Dank, dark, 
dark stained wood everywhere you looked, narrow stairways, a dusty old basement and supply room hanging out down there where all that food was kept, creaky as all get out almost everywhere you stepped. You know the kind of church that I'm talking about, I'm sure. I can smell that place in my imagination. And what would happen, as with all soup kitchens, like Cher, in fact, is is that we'd help make the meal, we'd set the tables, and then eventually it would be time to open the doors to let everybody in for breakfast. Well, usually, there would be some pretty rough customers coming through that door. It was a downtown church, as I said. Not everybody smelled good. Not everybody was sober. Some folks would come in a little bit irate sometimes and raise a stink if you didn't give them enough of this or that on their plate or let them come through the line for seconds before everybody else. And just like at Share, we kids were allowed and even encouraged to, to sit down and have breakfast with them once they all came through that line. And I remember on one particular morning when half the youth group got their breakfast and they all huddled around standing together in the kitchen uh, to eat it together. I have never, up until that point in time, seen my youth leader that angry before. And she really let us have it. Don't you guys know that you are here representing our church. I am ashamed, she said, and that stung. All of that serving and work you just put in, you just erased by showing those people in there that you think you're better than them. Wow. Whose breakfast is this anyway? Friends, we've probably all been guilty of that at one time or another or in one way or another. And Paul reminds us all here today that whatever else the Lord's Supper is, it's a spiritual practice that is designed to teach us something. We're called to go about it in a very particular way because that particular way teaches us about Jesus' way sharing of Jesus' way of being community. This is not our supper. And when we mess with it and distort it, we jeopardize whether we're even carrying forward the Lord's Supper at all. It teaches us how to live well. And here in 1 Corinthians especially, it teaches people of different means and different income levels within the church body how to live together and grow together and eat together and become the church that Christ has called us to become together. Communion, you see, has everything to do with justice and with economics and with consumption. And so does fasting, too, of course. Today, later on in our service, when we come to this table, I want to ask you to keep this sharing in the forefront of your minds as you feast prayerfully in the company of those 
that you are sharing with today. Feast today with a mind toward the community. But then this coming week, as we break the feast and enter again into the fast, as you fast, I want to ask as well that you focus your prayers in on the poor and the less fortunate especially. Fast in solidarity with those who have less. Use your abstention from whatever it is. Use your abstaining as an opportunity to feel what they must feel. To sit with them where they must sit. I plan to use my Dove chocolates as a prayer tool this week. And my prayer will be this. Lord, use this fast to heighten my awareness of those who are suffering in this world. Use it to awaken my compassion and my resolve. Use it to make me wiser and make me more in tune with Your rhythm. Use it to make me aware of my blessings, my privileges, and of what many have to live without. Use this fast and this feast to teach me your goodness and to follow in your ways. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray.